Welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, designed to bring out the best in you and your organization. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach on a mission to create a culture where business is the true balance of head and heart. I work with leaders and companies on how to leverage my brand of kindness to gain powerful results. And I'm Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you shift conversations to identify what works and find ways to build on that success with people, planet, and profit in mind. The Doing Good Business Podcast is the place to learn about transformational leadership qualities and purpose-driven business practices that are essential to success in today's modern market. You can make the world a better place through business, and the business case for that starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Doing Good Business. Super excited, as always. I, I feel like I say that, but I genuinely, truly mean it every week. Kelly and I are so lucky to talk to the incredible people that we get to talk to. And today's guest is no exception. So really excited to welcome Anthony Hayes to the podcast. And Anthony, I'll let you share a little bit about you and the work that you do in the world with our listeners. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm super jazzed to be here with you all. Uh, well, my name is Anthony Hayes. I am the founder and president of the Hayes Initiative, which is a uh, small LGBTQ owned and operated uh, full service public affairs firm uh, based in New York City. And we really do go um, across the public affairs sphere in the sense that we focus on um, not only standard communication, media relations, but also the government relations and community outreach uh, that can take place. So mm. it's a lot of fun. We have a we have a good we have a good crew. So Kelly and I are apparently on a roll because our last guest was an amazing person named Matt Tinney, who owns a small boutique LGBTQ owned certified Windows support organization in the Philadelphia area. So you are in good company with our recent (laughs) guest and happy to make a connection if that would help. (laughs) That would be great. I am always happy to be connected. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So I'm going to dive in, Anthony, because I love, you know, your folks were kind enough to introduce you to us. And what excited me most about you was your blend of leadership leadership and advocacy. So in my work every day, I'm talking to leaders, you know, obviously in the past year, if not longer, advocacy has become more and more of a critical topic, either, you know, how to talk to my black employees after another murder, um, how to Mm -hmm. have these conversations, how to be a force for change in the world with leadership. And I'd love to hear from you. How do you blend that, you know, for yourself, for your clients, for your team? How do you really hold both of those things of leadership and advocacy in your work? Sure. I mean, I think it's a it's a solid and great question. I think for me, I have really <laughs> moved in the in the I've moved more in the direction for both of those areas, leadership and advocacy, by leading forward and and going into every conversation truly with uh, more empathy over the last uh, four or five years, um, because I think that it, you know certainly when you're thinking about communicating or making sure that you are connecting with your employees or your customers, I think there is just a real desire out there to have people um, come come at them, come speak to them um, in a way that sort of recognizes that, that it has been a fairly unprecedented uh, time in certainly if you're based here in America and America and around the world, certainly with COVID. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I just sort of feel like that, that sort of value empathy coming at everything with that tends to 
helped me be more authentic. Um, it helps me remember what the goal is. Uh, it helps me stay focused on why we are advocating or why our client is advocating. And it helps me be, you know, the kind of leader that I that I hope to be. And I hope that when I'm giving advice to various clients in the C-suite that we are lucky to get to work with, I hope that that rings true for them as well, because I know that everybody is, to your point, uh, very, very eager to connect um, with not only their employees, but stakeholders and, and customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's the, the, the thing that I've been trying to trying to live by myself and 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 push people to do as well that's awesome um anthony this is kelly and that makes me think connecting with stakeholders so you know you're you're speaking directly to my heart and soul when we think about companies strategically and how um there's a great need for them to do that in very meaningful productive ways and instead of the just kind of that one-way communication. Here's our message and we'd like you to receive it. (laughs) You know, um, given all of our diverse perspectives, right? So, you know, the ones we think about, gender, race, ethnic background, thinking styles, age, right? I'm just going to go through some of them, right? And then the other ones, job level, income, marital status, right? There's so much out there, Mm -hmm. birth order. Laura and I happen both be only children, right? But like that shapes your perspective, inclusivity can mean different things to different people. So I'm wondering, like, when you think about it in your work and what you're doing, how do you define that, knowing there's this diverse range of people, right? And how do you see it showing up in organizations um, where they're doing it well? You know, they're they're kind of, or what advice do you give to them to help them do it well? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it, it is true. Uh, it does get defined lots of different ways. And I think that one of the things that, <clears throat> you know, for me, uh, it, it's fairly focused on awareness, right? I think you first have to be aware of every situation that you're in, whether you're like us, where you're reading a press release, or you're sitting around a conference room table, or you know, you're launching a new initiative or you look at your customer base or whatever it is that you're wanting to um, be more inclusive on, hopefully, Mm -hmm. you know, it's that you're aware. And I think a lot of times it's very easy in, you know, the urgent rushes out the important every day. And I think we sometimes forget to maybe look around the table and say, hey, we're, you know, and this is an actual thing that happened. You know, I was on a call um, with very, very well-meaning people who were wanting to, uh, our support on editing something around, uh, Black Lives Matter. And I just said, why, I said, why are there four white people mm-hmm. on the phone editing a statement about Black Lives Matter? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you sort of heard the whole call go, <gasps> and, you know, everybody, and no one meant to, but just, there wasn't a pause to say, wait a minute, we need to sort of figure out why we're not engaging our black employees. Um, Because that would, they actually, you know, they had diversity. They had to your very, to your right point, they had inclusion. Mm -hmm. And so, so I think just sometimes there's so much, well, what I would like to give credit for, and maybe I'm being too generous and, and, you know, everyone can keep me honest on that, but I think there are so many well-intentioned 
leaders out there mm-hmm. who just don't take a breath and look around figure out who's on the phone and start to understand that that doesn't mean that you can solve it overnight. If you don't have the right level of inclusivity at any of the levels that you described, right. You can't solve it overnight. And the one thing that we've always told people is listen, communicate your communications team can help, but what you're talking about is an operational business problem. Yes. It's not a communication yes. problem. Mm-hmm. It is a communication problem, right. <laughs> but it's not. And it's not a at its core. problem if the operations are off. <laughs> yeah, it's a, but not at its core. When if your primary value is inclusivity, but you haven't got you know a black person in leadership, a woman in the C-suite, or whatever the you know, there's a, to your point, there's a thousand ways to look at uh, uh, what truly is inclusive. You know, if you haven't figured that out, but that's one of your core values. Well, that's not a communication problem. That's like a, you know, an HR operations problem. Right. That reminds me of that old expression. Sometimes it's not the machine, it's the operator, right? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And where are you seeing, because I love what you're saying. I'm sorry. I'm reflecting on some of that. I I love what you're saying about about well-intentioned. Laura and I talk about that too. I think there are so many well-intentioned people out there and um, you want to support them, right? You want to give them the tools to, to be able to do what's the right thing also being subjective, right? And right. what does that mean in one organization versus another? Because it should be authentic. So you could see where people, I would assume you probably see it more than we do are like, well, what do I do? What is the right thing to do? Like, where do we start? <laughs> you know, and, yes. um, and you have a lot of really diverse work experience. You know, you've worked at the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey. You were um, with public affairs and policy, right? At Mm -hmm. the first HIV and AIDS service organizations, right? Where have you seen this working well in terms of business practices? I think our audience would be really interested in understanding some of the things that that do work um, that they might be able to pull into their own organizations. Yeah, I think I think where I've seen it work the most is uh, or, or well is again I, I will always go back to the awareness is number one where your sort of senior team management team or just culturally with throughout the whole organization there is an awareness of inclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you're either you're either working on that at the various levels I just described, hopefully across the company or you're not. Right. Um, and so, but the only way you're going to do that is if obviously the, the leadership sort of puts that forward. I think where I have seen, you know, certainly at um, the Port Authority, uh, it was such a huge, I mean, I think there were seven something thousand employees um, led by a great guy at the time, Pat Foy, you know, we reported, I reported into uh, a wonderful woman, Lisa McSpadden. And so we were all part of this senior team. And I think that there was always, there's, there was always the effort made. Um, they may not have succeeded, but I think it was always just a real conversation about diversity and about, um, you know, all of the, all of the ways that someone can be diverse and, and inclusive. I think there was just an effort put there um, at a very senior level. And so when we were having conversations about, 
initiatives or who should be there or, you know, who's the right person to lead this, you know, that was at the conversation. Again, it it may not have succeeded, Mm -hmm. but it was, it, it was at least thought about and talked about in other, you know, underneath C-suite and sort of your executive leadership team, they all heard the table talking about that because they would be in the room as well. And so that resonates when they go back to their teams as well. And then, you know, you have to, you have to set metrics. If you're not measuring it, it's not happening. And so I think the challenge is, is I think a lot of people are scared to set metrics because I think they're scared they're not going to meet them. Hmm. And then, then, then they'll feel like, well, now we're really not doing it. And so Hmm. I think setting metrics, obviously you want to meet them, but also if you're not, why, you know, and then, then it at least gives you something to start with. So I'm a big believer. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I love everything that you're saying. It's so thoughtful. And what would some of the metrics around, inclusiveness be? Yeah, I think, I think one is just sort of (laughs) fairly obvious to make sure that the senior leadership team is reflective of that. Gosh, you you would think think that's obvious. I wish, I don't know. (laughs) I, I agree. It's obvious. Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think we've seen uh, glaring examples of, um, either where it's not obvious or it wasn't their top value and they just Mm. sort of kept, kept going ahead. Right. Right. Um, And so I think that, I think you have to start, I'm a, I I think you have to start at the top of an organization. I think you need to look at board seats. I think you need Mm -hmm. to look at leadership teams. Um, I think, you know, the leadership team needs to be sitting with HR saying, okay, what are we measuring in terms of, you know, how many women do we have? How many, how many, you know, people of color, how many LGBT, like what are, what are the, and I think you just sort of start. Um, I I don't know. Like, I think, I think maybe where there's the biggest deficit is where you start. Um, And I think that everybody has a lot of work to do. Um, But I think it's the one, I think it's the people that are truly measuring, truly trying that are going to get much closer to, to what we would probably consider success Mm -hmm. um, than those that just sort of, you know, and I think people are getting called out on it pretty regularly and rightly so about just pretty vague statements. I think you're right. And, and Laura, I'll wrap this up quickly. Sorry. Um, But, you know, I was thinking it would be also interesting to overlay other performance metrics to see over mm-hmm. time as these um, as the the makeup of the team changes, how what is the impact? Are there any correlations um, between performance or whatever the business is in or the nonprofit organization? You know some of their key performance metrics, and just to see how does that hopefully positively influence them. But I think that would be interesting to oh, I agree as well along right when we look at these other ones. Thank you. Agree. Agree completely. That's where my mind goes. Cause you know, I got to go to the tracking of it. <laughs> Which we <laughs> know. Again, if you're not, I, I agree with you. If you're not, and it's tough. I, I yeah. listen as a small business that we run, like we, you know, we try to, we try, we try our best to track things as well. Not so much because, you know, we feel like we're not doing it, but because we just, otherwise I don't know how we would know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, come back for our return on investment conversation. <laughs> when you ask, you know, like smaller organizations and they're like, well, what's the return on investment going to be? Well, I don't know. Currently, how long does it take you to hire someone? 
<laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Well, let's start with getting a, a baseline there. <laughs> That's right. That's ex- I couldn't agree. Yeah, we're we're right. we are a big believer in it. I think much to my team's chagrin some days. But. Yeah, measure something, right? It'll yeah. you might not get it right. Maybe like year three, you're going to be like, hey, I think we should be measuring something else. But at least you will have started with that, and I think it's a that's a good place to be. Totally. Like what you're hearing on the Doing Good Business podcast? Then you'll love working with Laura or Kelly. Visit doinggoodbusiness.com forward slash the host to learn about them and how their services can help you do good business. So Anthony, you had mentioned in, um, in your work history, I know you spent a large amount of time at the Port Authority. And so I have a story in my head that is like, hmm. I don't imagine that the Port Authority is like a super open and affirming place um, for somebody who is a member of the LGBTQ plus community and who is in leadership. So first, I would love to question that story and hear your impression. But I also want to know how did that experience shape the work you do today, shape the leader that you are today? So debunk or affirm my story. um, But also, I'd love to know how that impacted you. You know, I think we're all, Yeah. yeah, we're all walking around with our pasts, you know, shaping this moment in time today. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because I, you know, listen, I don't think they had pride flags hanging outside, right? Like, I'm not going to say that, right? But I worked, I I will be very honest, I worked for remarkable people. I love that I'm wrong. Yeah, I can't say, that doesn't mean that, and then so to the point of that, like one of the things I did while I was there was I realized we didn't have an LGBTQ ERG, employee mm. resource group. Mm-hmm. And so HR opened, like, and again, HR jumped right on it. Like everybody was like, oh, you're right. We, you know, it was never a like, oh, well, what if we don't do, you know, why should we do that? It was never that. And, you know, while I was there, you know, we won the landmark cases around marriage equality and, mm-hmm. you know, the Pat Foy, who was the executive director um, and my boss, Lisa McSpadden, just were so, so he, he, like called me and like, mm-hmm. this is so great. And what a wonderful day. You know, I mean, it was just so there was none of it, but it wasn't to your point of it just wasn't an in your face kind of place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I was super proud to get to work on was reintroducing the world to the world trade center site after nine oh, 11. Yeah. And so I spent, uh, I got, I, I got brought on right around the 10th anniversary of nine 11 and I spent an enormous amount of time down on the construction site. And, you know, I, I was a little, you know, it's obviously a very uh, predominantly male construction, you know, all the, all of sort of those stereotypes of sort of New York city construction workers that you would imagine. And I went on and, you know, I had to convince them to let me bring TV crews. Like, you know, I, I came in and I was like, I want to take good morning America up to the top of the building and blah, blah, blah. blah. And they were like, wait, who are you? And so it was a little bit. So, and really I, kudos to all of those uh, men that I met. And it was largely men. There were a handful of them, but not enough. Um, and because one day, one day I had a meeting with like 30 or 40 construction workers in this trailer where I'm like, and so what we're going to do is, and then what I want to do is, and then, uh, and everybody's just sort of like sitting there. So one guy in the middle of everything says, you know, how did we, why are you here? Like, what's your experience? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I said, well, I actually, you know, part of why I know storytelling is because I worked on marriage equality. So, you know, gay people can get married. Mm -hmm. 
And I just sort of let it sit in the room. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. How'd that and, sit? <laughs> and everybody looked up and the guy goes, awesome. That's Aww. great. And all of that, I mean, I really, you know, there's just, mm-hmm. I really have one story after another where the way that you think it would be with that, you know, there's, we all sort of have this idea of how the people who might not be affirming mm-hmm. are, are so are so much more so, especially if you enter into it authentically. And so mm-hmm. um, because I didn't hide it and, you know, I, or didn't feel uncomfortable about it, you know, they didn't, they weren't weird about it. Right. Um, nor should they have been, but you know, they could, they certainly, I think everybody to your point would have thought so. I love that story. And love I it. so appreciate being wrong. And I, I continuously <laughs> come back. It's to rare. It. <laughs> You're generous. It's not, <laughs> um, but I just, I always come back to the Brene Brown quote, people are hard to hate close up. Um, mm-hmm. and I think totally. that the work that you do is really showcasing that. And even just that personal story of, you know, they got to know you a little bit, you know, you weren't having dinner or drinks with them, but they got to know who you were. And then they heard your story and it was like, cool. Yeah. And, and then they trusted have, me. Yeah. They trusted me. Well, because, you know, I'm talking about bringing, you know, national television outlets. And when people hear good morning America, they freak out because they're mm-hmm. going to be on TV. Right. So you have to get people to trust you because I wanted to tell their story. These are the people rebuilding after nine 11. That's yeah. a powerful story. Mm-hmm. So there was a year of my career that I was coming, I'm in the Philadelphia area and I was coming into Manhattan like a couple times a month and on the path into world trade and watched a lot of them doing that construction and remember that reopening very well. And I remember the first time I was on that path train and like, like I can still feel it on my body. I'm like, it was silent. Like the mm-hmm. train went silent going through. I mean, it was literally, it was the rubble. It was the builders. It was still a big a hole of dirt in the ground. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just an incredible time and what amazing work to be a part of that, that reopening and sharing with the world. Yeah. It was very special. Very, very special. So you just mentioned trust. Um, and I think, you know, when I think of the word trust and and leadership, I think of transparency and a lot of what we've touched on already really, I think kind of has danced around transparency, but what do you think about hearing those two words together? Like how does transparency impact trust? What are some other ways that you have seen people, you know, really communicate to build trust in a positive way? Uh, that's hmm. a complicated question these Fair. days. Um, <clears throat> the right question. Um, I think, well, my, one of the things that I think is going to be our, our greatest challenge, probably, I don't maybe I'm overstating it, but I think in the next, at least five to 10 years, the next decade sort of battle Mm-hmm. Um, is going to be around misinformation and trust. Ooh, yeah. um, <clears throat> and there so, are things that I am sad that I know exist, like 8chan and deep fakes. I'm like, I don't even want to know that this is part of the world. <laughs> yeah. And so as someone who helps people try to um, bridge what's a larger and larger gap in that area, um, it, it it is, I do think that there's a different level of, I think everyone can sense it when someone is sort of being transparent versus sort of like fake transparent. Hmm. Um, you know, I think just in the world we live in and because everything is so hyper-connected because everything is so, you just, you, you've got, we've gotten used to what, you, you know, what used to pass as transparency, <laughs> I think now sort of uh, it's, it's the, the cat's out of the bag that mm-hmm. it's like, wait a minute, there's more here. Yeah. Um, 
And so I think it is requiring people to sort of come forward, hopefully, and put more things, put put more details out there. I know certainly when we get called in crisis situations, you know, we make it very clear that it's like, if you hold things back, it will only, only draw this out longer and longer and longer because people, people find it. It's going to be found. Like, and I think people sort of still have this concept that there is, um, that it's not findable. <laughs> Everything is findable. Everything is days. findable. The internet never dies. <laughs> yeah. So like, but it's, it's when people hold back that it just increases the pain. It increases yeah. the length of the crisis. And, you know, it's, it is very hard. And we, we jump in at a time when people feel the most vulnerable and really have to convince them that, you know, it won't be pretty necessarily. And then sometimes it's really not pretty, mm-hmm. but, you know, if you don't put it out there, you're going to be made to put it out there at some point, Agreed. it will come out. The days of sweeping things under the rug are becoming like, not that this is a bad thing, <laughs> oh, you know, harder and harder to do. Right. But, yeah. you know, that's, that was the MO, right. That's, that was the strategy for dealing with things, you know, kill, kill the story. I'm sure you know that, mm. right. Like kill, kill the story, I do. Um, you know, and I always say like, you know, when prior to the internet, you had to hope there was a journalist who knew about the issue was able to go out and cover it was then able to actually get that story out. And that story came to you somehow, either, you know, on the television or through a magazine or a newspaper and that you had access to all of that. And with citizen journalism now on the rise too, it makes it even, um, you know, it makes it even harder, right? I think about, we talk about this all the time, you know, the companies, if they would have just done the the right things the first time, it would cost them far less money than it would to deal with it after the fact. And, well, it's always, uh, it's always that, or it's always the cover up that is the, yeah. like, you know, and I think, I think there are, you know, you've read plenty about this where, you know, I think even what you're noticing in New York around um, the governor, governor mm-hmm. Cuomo and the nursing homes, I think you're seeing that, you know, it, I think they've on their side feel like, no, we were trying to figure out the numbers and make sure we're putting the right things out. It looks like, I, I can't decide what it is, but I get, but, but I do feel like it, it's rather than just sort of like somehow there was, there was some miscommunication there, right. but it feels like it is like, it feels like there was something really, really wrong. And I, I am trying to like give it the benefit of the doubt and see where this investigation goes to really understand sort of like, how did we get here? Mm-hmm. Because it does feel that way. It has the hallmarks of that, of like, wait, why are we just not? And I don't know that it was intentional, to be honest with you, but I just and don't know. You you said it earlier, you said it much better because now the second part of that, but the, the urgency, right, overrides, I'll say in this case, the accuracy sometimes, right? And there's oh, sure. so much information out there. So um, I there's a book out there, you had started to allude to this, uh, it's called Full Spectrum Thinking. And they talk about the need for clarity filters over the this next couple of decades or two. And they define clarity filters, whether that's an AI-enabled software or a person like yourself mm-hmm. as being a trusted sense maker. Yeah. Someone, someone that says, okay, <laughs> now let's just take a moment, right? And not rush to this. And really, what are we looking at here? What are the ramifications for our stakeholders, you know, for our organization? And um, 
and to talk to others to find that out too, and not just kind of come out with the stone tablets. Here's here's what it is, right? But to really yeah. put it in context for people. And I remain hopeful. <laughs> I choose to remain hopeful that <laughs> um, that that will help us as we just you know, again, generate more data and more information real or, or not, um, that then we really know what to do with. Yeah. Well, I think leaders are, I think leaders are starting to understand more and more that, um, you know, when they, when, when you do get in the room with, you know, people like us, I think we're just, we, we just have such a good sense to your point of what's going to, you know, Mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't like this analogy, but pass the smell test, right? Like <laughs> we just have a sense of like, Hey, what are you saying? This doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, and then, you know, we do a lot of that where we're really, we're, 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 we're by design challenging what people are wanting to get out the door right away because, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And you can tell if you just slowed down and pay atten- paid attention. Exactly. It doesn't mean that you can't get it into a place that makes sense. And doesn't mean that you can't get it That's to right. be in a place where everyone understands, but you better slow down. Cause it will, like I said, it only increases the pain and makes it longer. Mm-hmm. If only everyone had listened to my grandparents. I mean, these were the lessons that I was taught my whole life, right? I wish I had, you know, I wish they had had actually a microphone, you know, because, yeah. you know, it, it does matter. And I think too, that urgency it's not all on them. It's not like people are trying to be sloppy or inconsiderate, right? But there's they're trying to balance a, a real desire amongst people for that immediate. We've now been groomed to expect 24-hour news you know, oh, on lots ridiculous. of different outlets. So, right, we all need to come ourselves and say, yeah. hey, let's give them a day and let <laughs> them get their facts together. Well, I can, I can tell you, so on election night 2020, I have never... I mean, I just, I've been around, God, I guess since 2008, you know, all of the presidential elections Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, stay up late. I love it. It's my sport. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm totally (laughs) into it. And, you know, everybody was very clear and I've never understood why we need to announce who is president of the United States of America in the same night. I've never understood that. Right. And so, you know, I was at with a ton of really, really savvy, much probably savvier than I politicos, Mm. you know, watching the returns and I just was starting to get, and it was, I mean, it was barely seven o'clock and I'm like, Oh, I don't think I can do this much longer. And so I think it was probably like eight 30 or nine. I, I was like, okay, everybody, I'll see you guys later. Mm -hmm. And they're like, where are you going? And I was like, to bed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, they've made it very clear we're not going to know. Right. That's right. So what am I, 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 I mean, and if I do know who, I, it was just so crazy to me, but I, to your point, well, people need to understand. And, and, your mental tenacity to just say, your mental wherewithal to say, okay, no, I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I believe me. I feel like it was uh, uh, the one day my better angels took over, you know, yeah. and, but I, you know, people need to ask themselves, why do you need to know this second? Because right. it's it really um, both as you know communicators, but also consumers. I really would challenge mm-hmm. everybody who's listening: Why do you need to know every single breaking news? I, it's not the right way to consume, mm-hmm. in my right. opinion. And I, you know that's odd coming from a from a comms person, but uh, it's my it's my personal belief. So anyway, 
I agree. I think that there's a real um, thoughtfulness that has gotten lost in our rush on on all sides of the coin. How many? Two? There's well, that's a bad (laughs) analogy. But on the edges. (laughs) In many different ways. I think we've lost a, a real sense of thoughtfulness um, and meaning. Yeah. Agree. But you're so, going to help bring that back in organizations. I was just going to say, so I'm going to pivot to the other side of that coin, Kelly Stewart. And Anthony, I'm curious, you know, as we as we wind down, what are you, what gives you hope? You know, I, I jokingly say that, you know, as a coach, my phone doesn't ring on the leader's best day. Um, and I imagine as someone who does crisis management, that is even more true for mm-hmm. you. But what gives you hope either, you know, for the coming year? What are you looking forward to? You know, like help us see something from a glass half full perspective. Yeah. You know, I think that there, I I think one of the things that I have noticed is everybody is so eager for, to your point, to have hopeful communication, Mm. to hear about things that are good. I mean, listen, Mm. there is plenty out there that we need to stay in the very uncomfortable place. Mm -hmm. We need to not like gloss over it and have it be Mm -hmm. shiny. Uh, We need to sort of stay in that. But I think going through that, and I think the more we can sort of continue to stay in that, and I think the more everyone can become comfortable being uncomfortable, Mm then I think we'll break through in a much more meaningful way um, and hopefully speed up some of the change that needs to happen in the world. But I, I, I just am a believer in it's not, it can be both difficult and hopeful at the same time. Yes. Um, and I think it, that's, I'm not saying that's easy. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, depending on certainly the day and listen, I'm, I feel very privileged as a white man saying this, and I can't imagine what it's like to be a black person or a person of color or a woman, you know, like I, mm-hmm. it, it's, it must be very difficult. And I think sort of the challenges is like, how do we make sure we're checking in, you know, as we're going through these trials and, you know, another shooting or, mm-hmm. you know, another sexual assault, or, you know, I, I think the list goes on and on, but I think sort of in that difficulty, I think that we can be hopeful in the way that we check in with one another, mm-hmm. the way that we're aware of it um, and the way that we are, are there as a community together. And I think that's, that's where we're going to find it. I think we're going to find it on a much more micro, in my opinion, I think we're going to find it on a much more micro level Mm -hmm. than, you know, sweeping change. And I think the sweeping change can come, but I think we should not be afraid of sort of staying in our local community, calling our friends when, you know, something obvious is going on uh, like this trial and the, the recent shooting and killing and, the man getting pulled over in the, in the um, army uniform mm-hmm. or military uniform, excuse me. So like, I just think there's plenty of ways that we can be, we can sort of be the hope, you know, I think obviously Amanda Gorm- Gorman's mm-hmm. uh, poem on an, on yeah. inauguration day was, was so, so remarkable. Um, and I think, you know, to her point, it's like, you know, if we're only brave enough to be it, mm-hmm. I think we can, we can really, you know, be there for one another. Really, and and strengthen those ties that bind us as people. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a beautiful wow. ending note. And thank you so much for just bringing us back to that moment and reminding us all to be it. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons Kelly and I started this podcast. We want to show that there are people out there who are doing business better. And you are clearly one of them, Anthony. I hope to count you as a, as a friend and so appreciate absolutely. you being with us and, and sharing yourself with our listeners today. 
Well, it was a great time. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business. We hope you'll tune in regularly, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and most importantly, tell a friend or a few. It's how we can build the critical mass to make the world a better place through business. The Doing Good Business podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business. Learn how you can work with us at doinggoodbusiness.com slash the hosts. Let us know what you like about the podcast and what else you'd like to hear about through our online form on the contact page of doinggoodbusiness.com. We'll see you next time.